Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Out here on the range, we do everything we can to make sure that the peasants are taken care of. That is my solemn oath to you. It's high noon for Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. Or join the discussion thread at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. I'm also occasionally on Gab at I am your moderator. Today is the 22nd full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. And will do literally anything that President Xi said during their supposedly two-hour telephone call last night. He's also the patriarch of one of the country's worst families and the father of one of the worst sons to ever exist, who he believes is the smartest man in the world. But where's the evidence, Joe? Where's the evidence? He is also in possession of one of the world's flimsiest noses. It's about to fall off, if the video today is to be believed. Joe's COVID mask was falling down, but it kind of looked like he had another mask on, more of a costumey sort of mask, where the nose might just wiggle and jiggle and fall right off. So congrats, Joe. You didn't get COVID, but I guess maybe you have leprosy. Oops, do face masks protect against leprosy? Tony Fauci, what about two face masks? What about six face masks? Now the CDC says 
that the second face mask is actually to make sure that the first face mask actually seals against your face. Of course, not sure how scientific that is, but let's get into it because there is so much going on. I'm going to try to talk about some news and get all up to date on that. And then we'll do day three of the second sham impeachment. And thankfully, day three of the impeachment was cut drastically short because the Democrats ran out of videos to play over and over again, I guess. So last night, an article in The Hill by Alexander Bolton. The headline is, GOP senators criticized for appearing to pay half-hearted attention to trial. Several Republican senators drew criticism Wednesday for appearing to pay only half-hearted attention to House impeachment managers' arguments as the trial stretched into its fourth hour. Yes, literally 16 hours they were allotted to present their case, and four hours in, everyone was like, give me a break. Several whispered among themselves while others chewed gum, doodled, or struggled to stay awake. The Republicans started paying closer attention when House impeachment managers began airing footage from inside the Capitol after it was breached on January 6th, including some that showed Speaker Nancy Pelosi's staff barricading themselves in an office minutes before groups of rioters walked down a hallway. Now, did those rioters try to enter that room? No, doesn't seem like that happened. But thankfully... Nancy Pelosi's staff was suitably scared, and they've watched enough movies to know that you have to barricade yourself in an office. Back to the article. Before that, Senator Rand Paul was spotted tracing the watermark of the Capitol on a legal pad, while Senator Tim Scott appeared to read a magazine article, and Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith gazed at a 2021 calendar. Senator Rick Scott was studying what appeared to be a map of Southeast Asia. Senator Mike Braun was described by one reporter in the chamber as appearing to struggle to stay awake, while Senator Marsha Blackburn didn't seem to pay much attention to Representative Joe Neguse's presentation. Oh, thank you for pointing out exactly who it was. Senator Richard Burr popped snacks into his mouth under his mask. Oh, no! and at one point walked into the cloakroom, emerging moments later with a glass of milk. Milk and water are the only beverages allowed on the floor under Senate rules. Weird, but okay. Other Republicans were paying diligent attention. Senator Ben Sass had four stacks of note cards on his desk. Senators Susan Collins and Bill Cassidy took careful notes while Senator Lisa Murkowski steadily watched the speakers at the podium. So they all get gold stars. Now, I wonder if we could match those four to the people who voted that this sham was constitutional. Oh, we can. Thank goodness. Hey, kudos, guys. Now the media likes you. You did it. A number of Republican senators arrived a few minutes late to the start of the second day of the trial. One reporter counted 33 seats empty 
when the proceeding started at noon, the chamber didn't fill up until about 12.20 p.m. Oh, no. Paul wasn't seen on the floor for most of the first hour and a half of arguments, though he was spotted in the cloakroom raising up his arms and appearing to speak loudly. What a scoop! NBC reporter Garrett Hake, Hake, who was in the chamber, said the impeachment managers struggled with, quote, the intractable nature of trying to get some of the folks in the room to actually engage with the material and be present and take this seriously, end quote. Well, that's not shocking. No one anywhere is taking this seriously. As the argument stretched on, more empty desks were spotted on the Republican side of the aisle. Quote, I noticed some of their seats empty. It's hard for me to know what they're paying attention to, remarked Senator Richard Blumenthal. I see on our side just about everyone in their seats. Senator Josh Hawley, who objected to Pennsylvania's Electoral College votes on January 6th, watched the day two arguments from the visitors gallery above the Senate floor with his feet propped up on the seat in front of him, reading papers in unmarked manila folders. Oh no, what were they? Was it contraband? That body language drew a rebuke from former Senator Claire McCaskill, whom Hawley defeated in the 2018 midterm election. He's proud to pull himself apart from everyone else and be the only guy. This is all political for him. It's all political theater. That's why he's up there with his feet over the chair, she said on MSNBC. He's probably working on his book manuscript, she added. It's very disrespectful. It's very, very shocking that Claire McCaskill lost to Josh Hawley. I mean, she seems to know exactly what was happening in the room. It's all political theater, she said. Imagine blaming Josh Hawley for that perception to something that is, in fact, all political theater. Hawley later explained to reporters he was reading through the trial briefs and his own notes. For me, it's a little less claustrophobic, he said, so we're not all jammed together on the floor. Not that I don't like my colleagues, he explained, adding that he sat apart, so we're not elbow to elbow. So I'm surprised that he's not being commended for social distancing. I mean, isn't he literally safer up there? What if he got COVID down in the Senate? It's possible, right? I mean, they're sitting within six feet of each other. And yes, they have masks on, but good Lord, try going to the grocery store with your mask on and meeting a 40 some odd year old white progressive woman in Hollywood. If you cross paths with her within four and a half feet, trust me, your mask will not mean a damn thing. So really excellent reporting by the Hill here. Really, really detailed assessment. And you know that the House impeachment managers must have absolutely nailed their case when the most important, most damning thing that they can say, that the media can say about the other side is that they weren't paying attention enough. 
it's actually incredible how bad all of these people are at their jobs. You know, clearly we can understand that the media's job is to make Republicans and anyone connected to Donald Trump or anyone who might be construed to be advancing the Trump position in any way, or even they apply the same standard to their anti-racist argument. If you're not being actively anti-Trump all the time, then you're part of the problem. And so that's the narrative that they're perpetuating in this media, but they do it so badly. They're trying to slam these Republican senators, and instead, they're basically telling all the communists that the case is so dumb and so boring that people can't even take it seriously or pay attention. And why would they? The chief justice isn't even there. So either he didn't want to show up because the thing is a sham, or he couldn't show up. What does that mean? It actually got worse today. And without going through the actual impeachment stuff yet, I want to point out this article from the New York Post. This is just this afternoon. Headline from Ebony Bowden. GOP senators say House impeachment managers are, quote, losing credibility. Republican senators appear to be losing patience with the House impeachment manager's case on day three of former President Donald Trump's trial, suggesting that he will almost certainly be acquitted. Well, we knew that before Nancy Pelosi started this. And let's never forget, Nancy Pelosi did this to try to get Donald Trump out of office before the end of his term. That failed, right? And she's only doing this because Mike Pence wouldn't invoke the 25th Amendment, and of course he wouldn't. And Nancy Pelosi literally tried to usurp the president's power and get control of the nuclear launch codes, or at least have them taken away from Donald Trump. If that's not illegal, I would be awfully surprised. But that was the original plan. Try to get Donald Trump out before the 20th because he posed a clear and present danger to the republic where he'd actually make it to the end of his term. Now that didn't come to pass in any way whatsoever. And I doubt there are too many commies who will even attempt to forward that argument anymore. But let's please remember what this was about. Back to the article. Quote, to me, they're losing credibility the longer they talk, said Senator Jim Inhofe. I just, that's my opinion. Inhofe accused Democratic prosecutors of putting words in the mouth of former White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney as they played clips of him rebuking Trump's actions during the January 6th riot that the then chief executive is accused of inciting. They talked about Mick Mulvaney and all the things that he said about how deplorable it was for people raiding Capitol Hill, Inhofe told reporters. He never did say anything about him as in blaming it on Trump, but they speak and add to it just as if it's Trump, that he's talking about Trump. He's not, he went on. Democratic prosecutors used the second and final day of their arguments to play video footage of interviews with Trump supporters who said they stormed the Capitol at Trump's behest. But GOP lawmakers said the House impeachment managers weren't presenting a strong case suggesting they would vote to acquit Trump on the charge he incited the insurrection. 
Democrats need 17 Republican senators to cross the aisle and vote to convict Trump to reach the two-thirds majority necessary. Senator James Lankford said the managers were, quote, not connecting the dots. One day after he became visibly emotional on the Senate floor while watching footage of the deadly riot. Earlier Thursday, Senator Josh Hawley condemned the actions of rioters, but said the impeachment case was, quote, totally illegitimate. In terms of what we're seeing, what we're seeing is what we lived through. It's what my staff lived through, and it's horrific. The criminals who did it ought to be prosecuted, as they are being, and ought to be given the full measure of the law, Hawley told Fox News. You're not going to get anything but condemnation from me for what happened with those criminals at the Capitol on January 6th. But that doesn't make this trial any more legitimate than what it is, which is totally illegitimate, he went on. Democratic prosecutors were praised for making a compelling opening argument on Tuesday and won the mind of GOP Senator Bill Cassidy, who changed positions and voted to call Trump's impeachment trial constitutional. (laughs) Comical. But on Wednesday, Republicans began grumbling about how impeachment managers were selectively quoting Trump's address to supporters before they stormed the Capitol. The former president's legal team will begin presenting their case on Friday morning with a vote to convict expected on Sunday or Monday. That's the end of the article. So, so far, it sounds like the Democrat impeachment managers are doing an absolutely terrible job. And of course they are. They're among the dumbest and most dishonest people in public life outside of Hollywood, media, and big tech. But what's happening in California, you ask? Well, Gavin Newsom is now faced with the fact that he is going to be recalled. They have the signatures. Now, I do expect that Gavin will use every means, legal or otherwise, to prevent this recall from happening. But there's still five more weeks to go to add signatures onto this total and basically guarantee that that will happen. And hopefully it will. But last night, the California governor official verified Facebook account put out a statement. And they put it out in Spanish, but the translation to English is as follows. And It is a correct translation. Equity is our priority when it comes to COVID-19 vaccines. We're focused on vaccinating our food workers, farmers, peasants, and our essential workers safely and as quickly as possible. Peasants. (laughs) It is unbelievable. I, I mean, I am struck every day by the undeniable oddness of all of this. Everything that's happening is just so unspeakably weird. It's hard to wrap your head around any of it. Like how in the world is it that Nancy Pelosi has Eric Swalwell on the House Intelligence Committee knowing full well that he was sleeping with a Chinese spy? I mean, it's fine to say that she has to for China's sake because she's just as corrupt. Fine, and she's just as compromised by China, of course. It's still just mind-blowing, though. And the fact that they're trying this impeachment case without the chief justice, it literally says it in the Constitution. Joe Biden's nose is falling off. 
what is happening? What is happening? All of it is, like I said a couple of weeks ago, if you can get past how unsettling and anxiety-inducing some of this stuff is, it's just something to behold. Like you just watch in sheer amazement. How can this be real? But wait, there's more. California stupidity is the gift that just keeps on giving. Last night, an actress named Gina Carano was kicked off a show that she is one of the regular lead cast members, The Mandalorian from Disney Plus, because Lucasfilm and Disney didn't like her tweet. She shared a post that said, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? And this was way too much for people to tolerate. Now they didn't argue with her history and they didn't argue with the principle of what she was saying, really. She just did a no-no by bringing up Nazis and Jews. It's okay to do it if you're on the left, of course, as her literal co-star, the guy that plays the Mandalorian has done on his own Instagram, but it's not okay to do if you're on the right, and especially not if you're making an accurate point. Yes, if you're an actor, you can call Donald Trump and his supporters Nazis until the cows come home. But you can't do it if you're on the right. You can't point out that right now in the political environment in this country, it is in fact the left who are the fascists who will turn their neighbors over who will in fact go out into the streets and beat up Trump supporters and attack them because of their political views. They will do that and they get away with it. In fact, we are currently in the process of getting more and more district attorneys who will not only let them get away with it, even if they're caught, they will be released immediately and never charged. Because beating up Trump supporters is okay. You can't assault a Trump supporter because our culture has decided that that's not really violence. Because their words, indeed their thoughts, are already violence. So responding to violence with more violence is just self-defense in this view. What Gina Carano said, apart from the Nazi reference, apart from the Jew reference, apart from history, the point she was making is 100% correct. They are marginalizing an entire population based on the behavior of a very, very small portion of that population. And they are justifying the worst behavior imaginable against these people on the basis of that prejudice. Now, the funny thing is that Lucasfilm's reaction and the media's reaction and social media's reaction 
is exactly the behavior that Gina Carano was calling out. So Lucasfilm went ahead and fired her, proving what she was saying. Like, hey, you guys, you're kind of acting like Nazis. No, we're not. Now get on the train. Very, very classy, Lucasfilm. I'm glad I stopped watching Star Wars when I was a child like everyone else should do. But then again, no one associated with Disney can say these sorts of things because then someone might be inclined to notice that Disney is intimately involved with the Chinese Communist Party. And the Chinese Communist Party, in fact, does have concentration camps right now where two million Muslim Uyghurs are being re-educated, they're being beaten, they're being raped, the women's heads are being shaved to sell their hair, and they're enduring forced sterilization. But that's not a big deal because we can't be hateful people, we are Democrats. So it doesn't matter what we do, by definition, we are the nice people. That's why we're Democrats so that we can be nice no matter what we do. We don't even need effort. We don't have to do anything. But everybody knows we're nice because we're Democrats. Like, look at my open views about letting criminals out of prison. I'm for that. That's why I'm nice. Did they abuse children? Did they rape? Did they murder? Who cares? If you were a nice person, you would want these people out of prison because prison is not a nice place to be. And everybody knows that if you're a prisoner, you're probably a person of color. And so we have to let you out. Doesn't matter what you do. We are the nice people. We are the good people. We work on facts and science. And like Jim Pisaki said today, the reason we can let kids go back to school one day a week is because we're following the science. And everybody knows that the science says School is only safe on Wednesday. Unless you're like with the Tuesday part. And then school is only safe on Tuesday. Unless you're like on the Monday part. And then school is safe on Monday. Unless, you know, Thursday or Friday. But school is only safe one day for our kids. That's what the science says. And we're going to wait for the new CDC guidelines before we update the science. Does it matter? If kids in other states around the country are actually already back at school? No. Does it matter that some states have been open for months without increases in their COVID rates or death rates? No, that doesn't matter either. What does matter? Well, what matters is when we say the science you believe us. That's what matters. You have to keep believing us every time we say it. That's what matters. Now, Joe Biden is concerned that Florida has been too lax with their COVID policies. Is he doing this based on the data or the science? No, of course not. He's doing it based on the fact that they just played a Super Bowl and everyone saw that things were just fine in Florida. And we can't have that. We can't have the narrative reach 
a critical mass. Because if people find out we're lying, we're through. It's good that they've realized that. Publicly, I mean. Because in reality, they realized it from the beginning. There was never any doubt about that. Which is why they made sure that no one could ever express the counter narrative. And that if they did, they would be silenced, removed from platforms, lose their jobs, lose their public standing. Because the most dangerous thing to this power structure is anyone knowing anything true. So as punishment, Joe Biden is talking about restricting domestic travel, particularly aimed at Florida. Do you think Ron DeSantis is going to listen to Joe Biden? Well, there's no way in hell he's going to do that. And Joe Biden likely doesn't have the balls to call him on it. I would love to see that political battle and that legal battle and watch Joe Biden and his illegitimate fake administration get absolutely pumped by Ron DeSantis. Joe Biden and his administration, his fake administration, are completely inept. And thank goodness there are enough Republican patriots standing up around the country in governor's mansions, making sure that Joe Biden stays as ineffective as he actually is. Good for Ron DeSantis. Now, one last article to take us into the day three of the impeachment farce. And this is from CNN by Alex Rogers and Manu Raju. And then at the bottom, literally seven other reporters worked on this story that a 16-year-old could write. Headline, GOP senators signal they plan to acquit Trump despite visceral presentation by House Democrats. So pathetic, these headlines. If these guys were poker players, they would just start off by showing their cards. And then they would go all in with like a 2-7 offsuit. The House impeachment managers presented senators with videos of their colleagues fleeing a pro-Trump mob, which breached the U.S. Capitol shouting, stop the steal. They showed the rioters searching for then-Vice President Mike Pence and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and rummaging through the senators' desks on the chamber floor. Some of the Trump supporters were dressed in tactical gear, armed with zip ties. Eh, was that a Trump supporter? Better check that, Manu. Others held Trump 2020 flags, broke windows with poles, and set up a gallows for Pence, who was constitutionally obligated to oversee the certification of the 2020 presidential election and the peaceful transfer of power to the Democrats. Well, kind of just making up that narrative right there, aren't you? Very careful wording, very careful wording. Got to respect your trickery. Don't respect your honesty. But even after witnessing the deadly violence firsthand, no, no, none of them witnessed deadly violence firsthand. That right there is an absolute falsehood. One person was killed inside. That person was a Trump supporter, an unarmed Trump supporter, an unarmed female Trump supporter who was shot by Capitol Hill security. 
But even after witnessing the deadly violence firsthand and being reminded of it again at the scene of the crime, ooh, many Republican senators appeared no closer on Wednesday to convicting former President Donald Trump on the charge of incitement of insurrection. While they were struck by the impeachment manager's presentation, these Republicans said that the House Democrats did not prove Trump's words led to the violent actions. They compared the January 6th riot to last summer's racial justice protests and criticized how the trial is being handled. Senator Lindsey Graham said he couldn't believe, quote, we could lose the Capitol like that, end quote, but added that it didn't change his mind on whether to acquit Trump during the trial. I think there's more votes for acquittal after today than there was yesterday, the South Carolina Republican said. Senator Mike Braun said the manager's visual presentation was, quote, riveting, adding, quote, it's just as kind of hard to take it now as it was then. But when asked if it had changed his view, the Indiana Republican said, quote, when you think the process is flawed in the first place, I think it's going to be different to arrive at a conclusion on the facts and the merits itself. I mean, what? And Senator Ted Cruz said a direct link from Trump to the pro-Trump riot was, quote, strikingly absent. The Texas Republican claimed, quote, there's not a political candidate in the country, including, quote, every single one of the Democratic senators who hasn't used the same language as Trump, who told his supporters, quote, to fight like hell. They spent a great deal of time focusing on the horrific acts of violence that were played out by the criminals but the language from the president doesn't come close to meeting the legal standard for incitement, Cruz said of the manager's presentation. The comments are the latest indication of the high hurdles Democrats face in getting the 67 votes needed to convict Trump, with 17 Republicans needed to break ranks if all 50 Democrats vote to convict the former president and then bar him from ever serving in office again. It was reliving a horrible day, a horrible day. That's not easy, said Senator Rob Portman an Ohio Republican who is retiring at the end of next year. But asked if he's more likely to convict, Portman said, well, from the start, I've said that I think this is about removal. And I think it's a bad precedent to be convicting former presidents, private citizens. The sentiment was echoed by most Senate Republicans. I think you get at best six Republicans, probably five and maybe six. GOP Senator Tim Scott told CNN when asked if the video and footage changed his mind on convicting Trump. Asked if he considers himself an impartial juror, the South Carolina Republican said, I think I'm as impartial as the other 99, which is to say not at all, I guess. I mean, certainly 55 or 56 aren't impartial at all because they already said that a quite obviously and definitionally unconstitutional impeachment was constitutional. The six Republicans could be Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Susan Collins of Maine, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Ben South of Nebraska, Mitt Romney of Utah, and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, a.k.a. the Romneys, the six Republicans who broke with their party Tuesday to vote that the impeachment trial was constitutional. Cassidy, facing backlash among local Republicans for that vote, dismissed the idea that GOP grumbling could influence his vote, saying, quote, my first loyalty is to the Constitution, except on Tuesday. He added, as he has yet to make up his mind on conviction. I'm angry. I'm disturbed, Murkowski said of the video footage. The evidence that has presented is pretty damning. Ooh la la. In a speech before the Capitol rampage, Trump urged his supporters to peacefully and patriotically 
make your voices heard, but also to fight like hell and never give up and never concede. Blah, blah, blah. The rest of this is just as silly. Thank goodness CNN had nine reporters on the case. So let's get to today. And good old lead manager, Jamie Raskin, whose baldness strikingly resembles that of Friar Tuck. So henceforth, I will be referring to Jamie Raskin as Friar Tuck. And if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. It's just how it's going to be. So I want to focus first on one of the impeachment managers, a woman I had never seen before named Diana DeGette, who is from Colorado. So Colorado is well represented depending on whether or not you want to think of that description as sarcastic by Jonah Goose and Diana DeGette, who are both just comically silly figures. So she kicked things off with the very scary, very emotional bullshit from moment one. She talked about the guards. She went into the hall and the guards had some of the riders on the floor and the, and the guards were holding automatic weapons. Yeah, they had fucking Gatling guns. Very, very scary. And then she went to her evidentiary case where she showed that mentions of civil war on Parler increased fourfold during Donald Trump's speech on January 6th. Now, guess how many it went up to after increasing fourfold? It went up to 156 mentions. I don't know exactly how big Parler's platform had become by then, but 156 mentions of civil war are not exactly a threat to the nation. Like, honestly, who cares? Are the Democrats the only ones allowed to use hyperbolic language? Evidence for Trump's incitement now includes, and has included, as I mentioned yesterday, posts from random people on the internet. Are these people all being being investigated for crimes at this point? No. They made bad posts online. They made the naughty posts. Let's go after everyone who makes the naughty posts. It's incredible how pervasive this ideology is among the left. Words are violence. That's a legitimately widely held belief on the left. And when you've redefined words into violence, then you can pretty much have carte blanche to make moral judgments about anything and everything at will. And of course, because you have different political motivations, your words are not violence. It's only on the naughty side that words become violence. So they have to be silenced and censored at every turn, but not your side. Your side can say whatever they want. Because once again, they're the good guys. Also cited as evidence, media reports and television interviews 
of various Trump supporters who were at the January 6th protest at the Capitol, who said that they regretted their words and actions as if this was somehow a damning testament against Trump. This is what counts as evidence. She went on to say that the insurrection statements to the media were cascading confessions and regret. The riots left at least seven people dead. But as we've covered numerous times, that's not at all true. Ashley Babbitt was killed by one of the officers. One person was killed because she was trampled. The other deaths were all from other causes, not caused by the rioters. So we have one death caused by the rioters. Two of those deaths were Capitol Police officers who were suicided after the fact. And we are supposed to count those among these problems. They went so far as to say that the riots damaged other nations because their views of the U.S. had changed. Really, they made that argument. It damaged other nations. And apparently Donald Trump is responsible for that. Jamie Raskin accused Donald Trump of communicating with the extremists themselves on Twitter. Does anyone believe that? Communicating with the extremists would require an actual back and forth. Otherwise, he was just communicating to the public, many of whom are blue check Twitter media personalities. So was he also committing with them because they are extremists? That we know. They encouraged and supported the burning of cities. They called it mostly peaceful. Raskin actually showed video of Donald Trump talking about the Charlottesville incident from 2017 and cut the speech so that Donald Trump would say there are very fine people on both sides. And Raskin said that this included neo-Nazis, Klansmen, and Proud Boys. Well, that's definitely, definitely not true. Donald Trump, in no uncertain terms, literally, explicitly said that neo-Nazis and white supremacists should be condemned fully. It's right there in that statement. Don't believe me? Read the statement. Watch the video. The fact that Democrats still get away with cutting that speech like that is beyond the point of simple dishonesty. This is blatant, divisive immorality. There's no other way to describe this. It is, it is absolutely, with no question, the opposite of what he said. And they are still putting this up as if it's true. This was Joe Biden's foundational approach to his campaign. His speech to the DNC included this. It is a lie. And it's been a lie for the entire time. It didn't just become a lie. It doesn't matter how many times the communists have said it or heard it or repeated it. It is still false. 
Raskin expressed his anger and dismay that Trump had said to Gretchen Whitmer on Twitter after there were protests about the severity of her lockdowns, the fact that people couldn't buy seeds, literal seeds, to plant gardens at some of the stores. That was disallowed. Gardening supplies were off limits in Gretchen Whitmer's Michigan. Meanwhile, her husband tried to go boating while no one else could. And so there were protests in Michigan. And some of the protesters arrived with guns, which was legal, and they did not use them. Were they mad? Yes. Does that scare communists? Also, yes, and that's why they use the video. But Trump had told Whitmer to give a little and negotiate with these people, and that is just way too, way too much. That's just way over the line. He's just encouraging more people to show up and protest with guns. Was there an incident where political violence was committed? No. But showing up with guns apparently is violent enough. Meanwhile, showing up in black with riot gear and other weapons that are not firearms, that is perfectly okay. You got lasers to shine in people's eyes so that you can burn out the retinas of federal officers trying to protect the federal courthouse in Portland? No problem. Show up with a gun you don't plan to use at all? Huge problem. Joe Biden literally invites Black Lives Matter Antifa extremists into his administration. He converses with them on Zoom calls, as do a great many Democratic representatives right now. None more than the squad. Raskin once again got to show off how great a writer he thinks he is and how poor a writer he actually is when he said multiple times that the president unleashed slashing personal attacks on Whitmer. Slashing personal attacks. Unless he was there with a sword. (laughs) I mean, it's so embarrassing what they're doing. It's so hard to watch. Raskin is the sort of like semi-literate that the left breeds en masse. They go to college and maybe they get an advanced college degree, like they become a doctor in gender studies. And then they pretend that they're the most literate and well-read people on earth. This is just false. It's ridiculous. And then he talked about the kidnapping conspiracy against Gretchen Whitmer. This was in the lead up to the election later than the earlier incident, but he called it deadly serious. The problem is one of the FBI guys in that group that was planning the kidnapping, he was like, uh, you know, undercover, like an informer or something like that. Informant, apologies. He was the one who was spurring the others into conceiving the plot in the first place. Trump's people stopped that plot, as he said. They are taking these issues that made noise in the public central narrative, and they are still imagining 
that these issues haven't actually been inspected by anyone. Nearly all of the examples that they've used throughout these two days have just been blatant falsehoods. But their target audience doesn't know that. They remember the first they heard of the narrative. And of course, since they never explored it, and since the media never promoted the fact that the narratives were wrong and corrected themselves, the commies don't know any better. So they still believe these things. They can be lied to at will with no potential for blowback because none of the people that they're trying to impress know about any of these issues. Democrats literally depend on their own supporters being completely ignorant. It's amazing that their supporters aren't actually insulted by this. They should be. These emotional displays that they're making constantly throughout this impeachment get even sillier, considering the fact that the whole thing isn't legitimate. It's like everybody in that room knows that what they're doing is a colossal waste of time and they're just mugging for the cameras. But these managers are so self-serious and so self-important that they think that their little act is going to place them in the annals of history. Like someday, some Hollywood writer will write this as a movie and it'll be called Second time's the charm. <laughs> this is the impeachment that finally took down Donald Trump. And Jamie Raskin will be there, played by someone with a full head of hair who doesn't look like Friar Tuck. And Friar Cuck will be the leader. He'll be the first lead. Maybe Mark Ruffalo will play him. And he'll say all these brilliant lines. Cascading confessions slashing personal attacks. No one takes these people seriously. It's I, like their colleagues don't even take them seriously. They can't. I mean, the Democrat ones sure can, I suppose. And the Obamis and Romneys do for sure. But no one else does. Like if I was one of the Republican senators, I also would not be paying attention to this because their entire presentation was basically just like playing nine episodes of Don Lemon back to back. It is an embarrassment to the country that this is happening. And at the same time, these people think that they are saving the country. It's insane. And if you want proof of how bad and how dumb these Democrat Congress members are at their jobs. They actually like said so many things that they get away with on Twitter and on MSNBC. But they're things that to any normal listener would expose their true intentions. Jamie Raskin said, if Trump was ever allowed to get back into the Oval Office, if he was ever allowed to get back into the Oval Office. They're basically taking it as a given that if Donald Trump is not impeached, then he would certainly win again in 2024. 
And that the only way to stop all the violence is to make sure that can't happen. He thinks that is the point, to make sure that Donald Trump can never be allowed back in the Oval Office. And of course, Donald Trump should be in the Oval Office right now because he won the election. And Jamie Raskin knows it. I know I've said this before, but you have to remember these people actually do know the truth. They don't say the truth, of course, and they make sure that no one else does either, but they know it. They have to know it. He said, would you bet the lives of more police officers on that? This was his plea to the Senate. If he gets back into office and it happens again, we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. Well, you could blame Antifa because it is their fault, but no big deal. So Raskin and Lou both made the claim that Trump said the day was totally appropriate. But the truth is, in the interview that they were referencing from January 12th, Trump actually said that people had looked at his speech, looked at all the words in his speech, and said the speech was totally appropriate. And the speech was totally appropriate. There was nothing violent or inciting in that speech. He said, if you don't fight like hell, actually what he said was, if we don't fight like hell, you won't have a country anymore. But we're supposed to forget about the fact that he said we, because we includes him. And the suggestion here is that this statement of fight like hell when Donald Trump says it, is him telling his supporters to go be violent. We know that that was physically impossible based on the time. But the fact that he said we means that if you wanna take that definition of fight like hell, that he was recommending physical violence, then he would have been including himself in that. And does anybody believe that Donald Trump was planning on going down there, walking down there and engaging in physical violence like Donald Trump was going to scale the walls himself? Of course not. The Democrats' position is always words matter. Oh, really? Well, if words matter, how come you can't quote anybody directly and engage with those words? How come you have to clip pieces of their quotes or misconstrue intentionally what they're saying? Do words matter? Because if words matter, you're doing a very, very bad job of showing. So let's go to Ted Lieu for a little bit. Let's talk about really dumb Ted Lieu. Ted Lieu straight up said, quote, he does not say the one sentence that would stop future political violence. The election was not stolen. He still does not say that sentence. That's why the National Guard in full body armor still patrol outside. Well, that's interesting, Ted. I thought we were all told that the National Guard was there because there was imminent threats of violence, but there weren't. There have never been threats of violence on the Capitol, except for before January 6th. And at that point, they didn't bother to take any action. Lou complained that Trump didn't immediately call the National Guard in, but Trump had already authorized the National Guard to do whatever they needed to do days before. And that's not me saying that, that's not an opinion. That was reported by the Associated Press. Lou said that President Trump presented a unique and continuing danger. He got mad that Trump said in his speech to tell the crowd to peacefully go home, he said the words, you're very special, we love you. And Lou pretended that Trump was saying that to the rioters, when in fact he was saying it to the million people that came there to support him.
And that's obvious if you watch the video. But of course, remember, target audience has no idea what they're talking about. So you can really just say anything and it counts. Ted Lieu had a slide of the president's comments and video from January 7th, the day after. And while that video and slide was up, Lou said that the president failed to address the nation for days after the attack, while the president addressing the nation the very day after the attack was up on the screen. He said, we needed our commander in chief to comfort and unite us, but he did nothing. <laughs> Why do the Democrats talk to the country as if everyone is a fashion blogger on Instagram. Like as if everyone's only priority throughout the day was to go take a picture of a latte with a, a plant stenciled into the phone. That's what they think their target audience is. That's what they think the American people are. People that are so superficial and so ignorant and have such dumb, bad priorities that they are convinced by things like this. We need our commander in chief to comfort and unite us. Really? Well, if comforting and uniting the country is your priority, then why are you trying to slime 75 million people, more people than voted for your illegitimate fake president? Why are you trying to slime them all for the actions of a few people, many of whom are on your fucking side? A violent mob murdered a police officer, he said. No, not true. Brian Sicknick was not murdered and he was not murdered by the mob. But who did murder police officers? Well, Black Lives Matter Antifa did that. Did we hear about that at all? No, David Dorn was a black man. We didn't hear about that. He was a former cop, still a security guard and a black man. But apparently his life didn't matter, no big deal. Lou listed the people resigning from Trump's administration as and their comments as evidence that the president crossed the line. Because of course their favorite thing is to find Republicans who will say anti-Trump things. Because somehow the communists believe, oh, that means that the normal ones are, uh, are just like us. The normal, the good Republicans are just like us. And everybody knows, everybody knows that this is what normal good people think. And so every time they get told that a Republican agrees with them about something, they're like over the moon. Yeah, those Republicans aren't really Republicans. They're just communists. They're just members of the party of false decorum, just like you commies. They're just Romneys. It's like commies in a Republican shell. One of the people who he listed on there was Elaine Chow, Mitch McConnell's wife. Those are two people who are totally captured by the CCP. No Republican, except for like, corporate Republicans like rhinos and Romneys claim those people at all. No one in the Trump movement claims those people. That's not convincing to anyone. Now, Diana DeGette got back on and she quoted the part of Trump's speech where he said, our, our journey is only just beginning. 
And to get said, and he's right. If we don't take action, the violence is only just beginning. Oh, really? Where's the indication of that, Diana? Has the violence continued since that day? Since that day when you had Antifa out there? John Sullivan? Again, they played John Sullivan's video more today. You can see the Insurgents USA watermark on it. John Sullivan, Jaden X, Insurgents USA. That's all him, all the same guy, all Black Lives Matter Antifa. And he was in an Uber commercial. Brilliant. DeGette then spent a half an hour, 20 minutes, a half an hour, reading through parts of the Joint Intelligence Bulletin, which they put out. I covered this on one of the episodes, but the long and short of it was that they said that there was this enduring threat of domestic terrorism, but they didn't have any specific threats. So if you actually inquired more deeply into that bulletin, there was nothing there. But she spent 20 minutes on the thing. She went on to say, President Trump's mob stands ready for more attacks. Again, blatantly not true. There is no mob. There is no organization. They can talk about small, quote unquote, extremist groups all they want. But the leader of the Proud Boys is an FBI informant. And no one even knows who the Oath Keepers are. And who are these other groups? There's not 75 million Americans in extremist groups, despite what the communists believe. He spent years cultivating violent extremist groups, she said. No, that's you. The two most active extremist groups in the country are Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And there is no close third place. Nothing close. And both of those groups are supported by a political party, by corporations, by social media, by the mainstream media. What they're doing is trying to force the country to embrace every one of their lies, every one of their narratives, no matter how untrue, we are all expected to believe it. And not only are we expected to believe it, we're supposed to repeat it. We're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to pretend that what makes us good is our ability to repeat these false narratives. President Trump has not had any contact with these organizations. Joe Biden has direct contact with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Black Lives Matter literally has been cultivated for seven years. Who has Trump cultivated? The media and Democrats blaming Trump for people's behavior while Trump was running for office and in office is not the same as President Trump actually cultivating it. Not at all. Again, the Democrats are the ones that cultivate these groups. Now, a refrain that we heard over and over is that impeachment is not to punish, but to prevent. We're not here to punish Donald Trump. We're here to make sure the seeds of hate bear no more fruit. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Because as long as Donald Trump is impeached and as long as he can't run in 2024, then he has no more impact. We're supposed to believe that? We're supposed to simultaneously believe that there is this Donald Trump violent mob, this army out there following his every command. But also, if we make it impossible for him to run for president in 2024, that all goes away. 
That's ridiculous. There is nothing about impeachment that even speaks to that goal, much less accomplishes it. And of course, that's entirely unnecessary anyway, because the thing they fear is not happening and will not happen. And then David Cicilline stepped up to the plate. He said that what happened on January 6th was one of the bloodiest intrusions in the capital since the British invaded in the War of 1812 and tried to burn it to the ground. Uh, what about the May 19th organization? Why can't we talk about that? Maybe he was giving a, a slight nod to the reality of that situation by saying one of the bloodiest intrusions. The woman who's on Black Lives Matter's Fiscal Sponsors Advisory Executive Board is a convicted domestic terrorist who literally attacked the Capitol. But David Cicilline, reprising his beautiful phrase from yesterday, claimed once again that everyone in the Capitol was in mortal peril. Of course, all their evidence for any of these things is people talking about the things that the rioters not only did not do, they didn't even try to do. We keep being told that these people were heavily armed and out to kill. There's just no evidence of that. They say there was a baseball bat and a stun gun. Well, what else? And Cicilline made his, his very, very best emotions come forth when he said, we can never allow the kind of violent attack that happened on January 6th to ever happen again in this country. Of course, implying that were Donald Trump to be allowed to run for president again, this would surely happen. But a good way to stop violence like that happening, or indeed to have stopped it in the first place, would have been to actually allow the security forces that were available to do their jobs. Because this thing was planned in advance, as has now been proven. That just doesn't work for the narrative. So let's go to Joaquin Castro. He described the Capitol riots as a benefit to China and Russia, who could compare the riot to the Hong Kong protests, which Pelosi celebrated online. And he said Trump created that, that opportunity for China to create a moral equivalence. Well, no, that didn't strengthen China. What strengthens China is having a compromised fake president and an impeachment manager who was literally compromised by sleeping with a Chinese spy. And then he went back and referred to the joint intelligence statement about imminent threats of domestic terror. Is it any wonder why people in the Senate were nodding off during this? All they did was repeat the same stuff over and over again. He said, convicting Donald Trump means America stands for the rule of law. No, that's utter bullshit. Actually making sure that the election was valid would have been standing for the rule of law. But we weren't allowed to do that. Jonah Goose stepped up and said that they had shown and proven with overwhelming evidence that Donald Trump was guilty of the impeachment charge. But they literally gave no evidence. Not one person under oath attesting to any of the stuff. 
They showed media reports. They showed some little video clips of some Trump supporters. They showed video of the event. But there was no evidence, as Ted Cruz said, tying Donald Trump to what some rioters did. He said, the facts we've proven, but they didn't prove any facts. They basically just gave us a CNN broadcast. Ted Lieu said, Donald Trump committed constitutional crimes. Really? Where? This is why they keep calling it insurrection, so that they can make Donald Trump and his supporters out to be the same as the South in the Civil War. Of course, that was Democrats. And throughout the entire time, the impeachment managers kept restating the conclusion that Trump was guilty as the premise in their arguments. They assumed his guilt and then just put on their whole show. They didn't actually prove his guilt at any point. They didn't even prove a connection. Jamie Raskin said that his team had stayed up night after night after night, compiling all of this proof. Well then, hey, you got the dumbest people in the world on your team. If they all stayed up night after night after night for four weeks, and it's been four weeks since they started this whole impeachment charade. In fact, Jamie Raskin started writing the impeachment charge the night of the riots. So that's more than a month, that's five weeks. And this is the best they came up with. They didn't even have enough to use their 16 allotted hours. Yesterday's was roughly six, six and a half, maybe seven, because their breaks all ran long and they stopped early. And today was about four hours. Jonah Goose described their evidence. And this is what evidence is according to him. The images, the videos, the articles. An actual person with what we imagine to be a full-size adult brain thought that newspaper articles counted as evidence. He said that Donald Trump made increasingly extreme calls to stop the steal and that he was willing to do anything to stop the peaceful transfer of power. But again, that's absolutely untrue. The stop the steal message was always the same. The election was clearly illegitimate. There is overwhelming evidence proving that fact. All anyone on our side wanted was for that evidence to be shown to the public, shown in court, shown to the American people, who still, 50% of them somehow, have not seen any of this evidence. And if they had seen the evidence, I would bet well over 75% of this country would notice immediately that this election was a complete fraud. And one of their biggest refrains, they even admit that this was one of the biggest refrains, in their case, was the big lie. And they say the big lie is Trump saying that the election was stolen. Now, the actual Goebbels quote about the big lie was, if you tell a lie big enough, and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. 
It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus by extension the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And we're expected to believe that Donald Trump is the one exercising that tactic. It is vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent. The truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Which side is repressing dissent? Donald Trump has literally never done that. Not once. Not once. In his five years in politics now, nearly five years. Actually, nearly six years, I guess, right? Started running in 2015. He's never done that. He's never called for censorship of anyone at any point. He is the one who has been censored. His supporters are the ones who have been censored. And the left is using the full apparatus of cultural and political power and corporate power and tech power, the old guard power to repress dissent. They do the same thing on COVID. So who is responsible? Who is the one telling the big lie? And the emotional, the over-emotional tone with which they do this is so insulting and so patronizing. The level of communication is honestly unbefitting adults. If you have the facts, you shouldn't need to fake crying while telling them. That is a sign of emotional abuse, that you are feigning emotion to make other people feel bad, to convince them that what they believe and see is not true. This is their main tactic. In Raskin's conclusion, he said, we've put all the facts that we know forward in an objective and honest light. No, just flat out no. If you've put all the facts you know forward, then you don't know many facts. You didn't even have enough facts to put forward to fill your allotted time to make your case. And you lost the attention of everyone in the room because everyone in there knows how unserious and how illegitimate this is. And they did nothing to prove otherwise. There is nothing about their presentation that was either objective or honest. They literally doctored videos and quotes and took things out of context and actually lied about quotes. Last night at the end of the proceedings, Senator Mike Lee had to stand up and ask that something be stricken from the record because they quoted something that he said or that he purportedly said that he didn't actually say. And so the impeachment managers had to rescind that. His closing argument was that people needed to exercise their common sense. He said, let's not get caught up in outlandish legal defenses. But what he was asking for is for people to embrace their prejudices. Because common sense only works if you have operational control of the facts of the situation and rudimentary logic. And they didn't have either. So of course he wants to rely on what he deems to be common sense. And then he went and 
mutilated the Thomas Paine quote by making sure that he wasn't just talking about man, he was talking about man and woman. That's how pathetic these people are. They literally want woke tweets. They want to go viral. That is their only game. It's their only move. And it never works. Now, I know this is going long. I apologize for its length. That's something I've said a million times before. I'm just joking. I know that was crass. I'm sorry. I liked it. I liked doing it. I liked telling the joke. But let's talk about what Trump's defense is going to do. Now, they have said that not only are they not going to use the second day, they may not even use the full eight hours tomorrow. Now, I personally think that that would be a monumental mistake. And listen, I'm not the one planning this. Maybe they have something amazing up their sleeve. I mean, the truth is they don't even need a defense. They could just vote on this and the vote would still acquit Donald Trump because the Democratic impeachment managers have made no case and the charges are ridiculous and the impeachment is illegitimate and unconstitutional. But Donald Trump's defense should do a few things and they don't need to focus on the things that the Democrats have said that are similar, although they should spend some time doing that and showing that because they have hopefully a captive public audience. Although I would imagine that tomorrow, if they actually go to evidence of election fraud or evidence of BLM Antifa violence, then the media will cut them off or there'll be some sort of false flag event that the media just has to cover immediately. So let's see if that happens, but they should use Eight hours one day, just showing videos of what happened all last summer. Make a little documentary on Chaz Chop. Make a little documentary on Portland. Make a little documentary about what happened in Minneapolis, those riots. Show the burned down buildings. Show the business owners crying. Do a half an hour on David Dorn. They have more than enough to shock the senses of every single commie watching, every single commie, every single Obama, and every single Romney, because none of them know what actually happened last summer. They refused to watch it. They could have sought out the information for themselves and opened themselves to that information like normal people, but they didn't. They ignored it all intentionally because to pay attention to it would be to take part in something that doesn't automatically skew anti-Trump. And that's not allowed. And of course, seeing actual evidence of these things would mean that they've been wrong and insulting the entire time by saying that the things that people like me say are conspiracy theories when none of them are. I will tell you when I'm speculating when I think that something might happen in the future. But the things that I'm saying about COVID, about Black Lives Matter Antifa, about the election fraud, none of those things are false. I can back them up with hard facts from mainstream sources. People don't believe that because they're like, oh, well, I would have seen it. No, 
You only see the things that the cable news focuses on. You only see the things that pop up as headlines on Apple News or on Twitter. And those things are already winnowed down by the same people. So of course you're not seeing the truth. They are literally hiding the truth from you on purpose. None of the people who actually think that this impeachment is legitimate know the facts. And if they do know the facts and they still think this impeachment is legitimate, then they're lying. Or they're taking an extremely cynical approach to issues that affect the entire country. And that's awful. So what I really want, what I would love more than anything, is to see all of the evidence of Black Lives Matter Antifa and all the evidence of election fraud and all the evidence of Democrat officials spurring this stuff on. Give it all to us. I'm very concerned that's not going to happen and that's unfortunate because the rest of the country should see this stuff. It's important. And the fact that people don't know this stuff still is honestly sad. It's frustrating, but it is truly sad because that's what's tearing the country apart. The media is what's tearing the country apart. Not Donald Trump. Not Donald Trump. The way the media covers Donald Trump. The way the media covers Donald Trump's supporters. The way the media lies about everything that matters. It's very, very sad. So I'm going to be watching tomorrow. I'll give you the whole rundown on that. For anybody who just listened for the first time, I'm sorry about the sound. It usually sounds better. It'll sound better soon. But I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!